Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders. At Boss Builders, our mission is to create the next generation of great bosses. We do this through a variety of training programs, which include our 13-month live masterclass, The Art of Being a Great Boss. This program provides the basic building blocks for being an effective lead, supervisor, or manager. We also have a 13-month live virtual masterclass, The Art of Being a Great Teammate. In this program, we work with individual contributors, building the people and technical skills that will make them more effective. Many of these modules refer to the work in our management program so all employees can be on the same page. A new program for this year is our Art of Being an Administrative Superstar. Your admin staff is the backbone of your organization. This program gives them the important problem-solving and decision-making tools, which will absolutely increase their effectiveness. We offer a number of one-hour short-topic seminars as well, and these are perfect for in-service training and brown-bag lunches. Finally, we offer the opportunity to license all of our materials so your in-house trainers can deliver our programs. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com or call us at 931-221-2988. Well, if you are in the intended audience of my podcast, you are an HR professional and I would imagine that, like we always say, you're probably a little overwhelmed, overworked, overstressed, and somewhat underappreciated. For some of you, this was your lifelong dream to be in this field. Others of you kind of worked your way into it. But I would imagine that for some of you, you're struggling today. And our guest is here to help. Our guest is Andrew Bartlow. He is the co-founder and managing partner of People Leader Accelerator. He's basically put together an EMBA-like program for HR leaders that is designed to give you knowledge and skills to help you become more effective. In our interview, we talked about some strategies that will help you. And at the end, of course, an opportunity to reach out to Andrew to have him help you. Well, you know what time it is. Let's quit talking about him and let's talk to him. Make sure that personal item is tucked under the seat in front of you. Make sure your seatbelt is buckled low and across your hips. Time for us to taxi to the runway. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Andrew Bartlow, welcome to the show. Mac, thanks so much. Really pleased to be with you. Glad we could do this today. The topic today is how HR can up their game. And we want to spend some time talking about that. I think, in my opinion, and we do a lot of work uh, via the HR departments, that it is one of the most really demanding and often thankless jobs out there. And I think our audience could always use a word of encouragement, certainly some suggestions on how they can add more value and be more valuable. We'll be talking about those today. But before we get there, Andrew, I was hoping you could share something about yourself. Tell us about your journey and what you are working on today. Great. Well, well, thanks a lot. Well, I'm a lifelong or at least career-long HR guy. I've been in this space for about 25 years, right out of grad school, and have worked with uh, some enterprise companies, Fortune 50 that you've probably heard of, Pepsi, GE, you know, several others. Uh, been the head of uh, the HR function for a number of startups. I've led the function 
four or five, maybe six times, including through an IPO. And uh, maybe four years ago, I pulled my golden parachute, uh, wrote my bucket list book, uh, Scaling for Success. And uh, today I am largely a consultant and advisor. I work with private equity backed and venture capital backed uh, high growth, high change companies um, to help them up their games. Um, and, and namely, uh, one of my favorite projects right now, I, I lead People Leader Accelerator, which is a uh, professional development program for HR professionals. Uh, and that's just been a lot of fun. So yeah, I'm, I'm spinning a few plates right now, but uh, boy, it's, uh, it's, it's been, I think, the culmination of a lot of work in this space in a lot of different contexts. Do you find yourself working harder now that you're working for you or thinking back to your days when you were working for the, I don't know, you say working for the man or the, the woman or the company or the, the, the committee? So what's, what was harder for you? You know, um, I don't know if it's, if it's any harder. Like, you know, I, I now have several of my own businesses. I'm incorporated as an S-Corp. I have a couple of different DBAs and, you know, the, the, the financials and tax planning is, is certainly a heck of a lot more complicated uh, than, than the old W-2 job. Um, but boy, you know what? Being self-employed versus being an internal um, you know, HR leader, you know, you're, you're always on. You really are. Like you, mm -hmm. you have hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of workers and the whole executive team that you're trying to serve and, and support and so it's it's not like you get to take a break as either a HR leader or an entrepreneur. Um, so it's just a different it's a different kind of work. But you're still you're still always thinking about it. You're always in it. I guess you could almost look at it, and this is kind of one of the things we're going to talk about: the old seat at the table. I guess uh, basically you've sat at the table a long time. Now you've built your own table, and <laughs> and now. People might sit at your table, I yeah, guess, well, right? Yeah, well, I guess my table's a lot smaller than some of the you know, big boardroom tables I used to sit around. But uh, but yeah, I, <laughs> I really appreciate and enjoy having my own thing and being able to select my clients. Um, yeah, and, and being able to do the work that I enjoy the most. You know, there, there's certain types of human resources work that I think different people gravitate to. And and uh, yeah, I, I like that sense of having um, a bit more control over what I'm doing when. Although everybody still has a boss. I, I may have you know, my, my own businesses, but uh, my clients are the boss now. Yeah, it just switches over. But yeah, I think we'll always have somebody that we're accountable to. So good deal. Well, tell us about the book Scaling for Success. Uh, does, that doesn't sound directly HR related, but tell us about yeah, that book. Well, well thanks. Um, yeah, that was really, I called it my bucket list book as, as I exited the corporate world a few years ago and um, was trying to figure out what to do with myself. Uh, I'm a, uh, I, I was a pretty terrible stay-at-home dad with my two little girls, um, and boy, then we entered COVID, and um, I'm, I'm not, you know, a, a mountain climber or a, you know, sail-around-the-world type. I, I was trying to be useful and relevant, and I I thought about like, hey, what can I add back to the world and what have I done a lot of that people might benefit from? And it's it's my human resources work. Um, and I've been through, I'll call it a, a dozen scale ups, head of the function a bunch of times, as I mentioned, and 25 years doing this. So 
Um, I, I tried to collect my thoughts in a meaningful way that might help other people more gracefully navigate the types of challenges and issues that I've lived through and, and managed through without going through the, the school of hard knocks that, the same way that I did. So scaling for success is that you know, attempt to share some really um, practical, tactical tools and templates um, for whether it be the human resources leader of a growing and changing organization or even a business leader, you know, CEO, founder, what are the people management practices and processes uh, that, that you can uh, that you can focus on, that you can hone in on, that'll help your organization grow. There, there's so many bright, shiny objects out there and so many anecdotal stories of big name companies or big name people that have done some wild and interesting stuff. Um, and, and I found myself out here in, in Silicon Valley, the, the startup cradle of the world, hearing about and seeing a lot of really ineffective processes that you know, the company might find success, you know, because they happen to have a killer product. Like Google's going to be fine mm -hmm. with just about whatever performance review process they want to do. Uh, LinkedIn's going to be okay, regardless of what their uh, internal comms, uh, how, how they run. Um, but most organizations, it matters a lot more. And so I, I was trying to bring, uh, bring a firmer foundation, bring the basics back, to more organizations and, and that's where scaling success for success came from columbia university uh business school uh, was my publisher and i partnered with uh one of the top management professors in the world can't believe that brad harris who's now at hec paris was willing to be my writing partner on this but um yeah we we try to help business leaders and hr leaders think more practically about what are the management practices and processes that'll help your company evolve. Um, so it's a guidebook. Ah, that's great. Well, it sounds like you had a lot of experience to pack in there. So I know we weren't really going to talk about this, but I, since I have your ear, I'd like to run this by you. So we're, we're seeing, well, so we'll date the podcast. We're the third week of November right now, or second week. And of course, the, the news now is that Elon Musk has taken over Twitter. And then I read the other day that uh, Meta, which was Facebook, is laying off 11,000. And it seems like the, the days of free spending, freewheeling seem to be winding down. And so I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, could you have seen this coming earlier? Was this a surprise to you? As I would imagine a lot of these companies are kind of in your backyard, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I know a bunch of people that uh, I was actually just responding to a friend who was affected by the by the meta announcement. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm in all these circles. Um, could you have predicted it? Could could we have seen this, uh, you know, change in employment? It's it's interesting, in that um, I think people that have been around a while, and I'm dating myself now. I, I have some gray hair, and I've been around this, you know, uh, type of work for 25 years. Um, the employment market and the, the capital markets and uh, the the financial markets are cyclical, and we've been in this 12-year bull run where there's been high competition for talent and companies have been really successful. And of course, we had COVID in the midst of that, which was this you know, V-shaped event. Um, but 
you know, I've lived and worked through the financial services crisis mm -hmm. and the mortgage meltdown and the dot com boom and bust. And, you know, this stuff happens. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, especially in big tech, which is Twitter, uh, which is Meta, which is a lot of these other organizations, they, they went on massive hiring sprees um, during and on the back end of COVID, uh, where their valuations soared and um, you know, more activity was moving online. And I, I think they just overextended themselves. Mm -hmm. So you know, we, we certainly sped up the move to remote work and the reliance on uh, digital tools. Uh, but as the world starts to shift, you know, rebalance that shift of in-person versus remote, um, I, I don't think that the, that the hiring and the cost that they took on was, was fully sustainable. Uh, as the revenues started to uh, normalize a bit. So, hey, I've seen some cycles, I've seen some bubbles pop, and I think we're seeing some air let out of, uh, let out of this bubble. Um, you, you just really feel for the people that are affected and uh, you know, they have families and mortgages and um, you know, it's a tough situation anytime you know, somebody loses a job and you don't wanna see that. But uh, uh, I don't know how how predictable these things are as you're on the as you're on the front end of them. Well, I mean, I live in Middle Tennessee, and so we're seeing a lot of folks that are relocating here from places like uh, Silicon Valley. We've seen a lot from New York, Chicago, and in many of those cases, they had the prearranged arrangement. You can work anywhere you want, and so you sell your very expensive home in the Bay Area, and you move out here and. The market out here in Middle Tennessee is ridiculously inflated. Homes that should not sell for a hundred thousand are over three hundred, and so people from out of state are overpaying for these homes. They're throwing all their extra cash to refurbish them, and now suddenly, and I know from Tesla, you know what you got sixty days to get back to the office or whatever the mandate is. Now you've got to worry about, oh my God, what do I do? If I sell this home I overpaid for, even if I sell it for twice its value, I can't afford my old house. What a pickle that people have been put into. And I just wonder if, for an employee, you could see that coming. I mean, everything I'd read, like I read this morning, where people are saying, I guess Elon Musk said it's something like $400 a day to feed people on site. And no one's in the office eating all the food they're buying. I don't know where he got the number from. But when your major concern is what perks will I experience today rather than what value do I add, it seems to me that we'll get this this will happen again and again. I, I can remember like you did back during the tech bubble and you go to companies where there's the gym and on-site facilities. And even when my son was little, he's like, dad, I wanna work at that place. It was a pharmaceutical in Arizona because they had like free soda and game rooms. He's like, dad, I want, I said, well, what job were you planning on doing? He's like, I don't know, I just wanna work there. So when my purpose is what perks do I get? I kind of forget I've got to earn those. And so, you know, maybe I hate to see this happen again, but I, I'm with you. Uh, I think it will. So uh, I didn't want to deviate that far, but I'm just curious, you know, from your perspective, especially as HR folks are having to navigate this, like, what do I do? I've got to call people back now. It seems like it is going to be some tough conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, true. And, and I think, um, you know, we're still figuring it out as, uh, as employers. Um, but boy, moving to a you know no income tax state like Tennessee mm -hmm. or, or uh, Texas, sign me up. Oh yes, up. oh yeah. I mean, and yeah. and they flocked over in droves for that very reason. It's why we chose to. I mean, we have family here. My wife's from here, but we chose our our military retirement is 
you know, it doesn't have that state tax on top. And we lived up in the East Coast, and wow, you might get taxed sure. on the amount of breath you inhale every day, you know? It's how do you squeeze tax revenue, you know? Austin, Texas is the new San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, not enough people have moved, moved out that way. Yeah, and, um, you know, workers have have uh, tried to take advantage of that. You know, if you have kids in school, it's uh, or you know family commitments or whatever, it can be you know awfully tough to uproot yourself and mm. and move. But uh, with the technology that's now available and the the work from home possibilities that were that were floated due to the pandemic and pandemic related policies, a lot of people did mm -hmm. reload. And that, that's something that a lot of HR leaders and business leaders are still wrestling with, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we had to do it for a while. Now that things are, you know, air quote, normalizing, um, what's more effective? And what are, what are some of the trade-offs? I think we're still trying to fully uh, balance those, those pros and cons. So I, I've written a number of blog posts about this, and I'm really active on LinkedIn. Hopefully I'm a good follow. Check me out. Oh yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think of, I think of hybrid, hybrid, which is a few days per week in the office being required, but most of it uh, from home. That's the worst of both worlds, mm -hmm. um, in that you're still paying for that really expensive commercial office space. You still have the the perks and you know the the things on site. Um, you know, so you have all the cost of being in office while not having that sort of creative combustion of people bumping into each other in the hallways. Um, and you, you still have to coordinate meetings and, and plan to get people together. Uh, but the massive upside of having a fully distributed workforce is giant savings on commercial office space, giant talent pool. Like, boy, wouldn't it be great to be able to recruit workers from outside? Oh, of yeah, distance? exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all, all these workers that, you know, moved from, you know, wherever, you know, high, high cost California-ish areas to, you know, lower cost of living areas. I, I think and I hope, I hope and I think that they'll be fine because more and more employers are willing to accept remote workers. And so, hey, even if Twitter has changed its policy, um, there are plenty of other employers out there that are willing to uh, employ people wherever they happen to be. Mm -hmm. And so I think there will be market pressures that, um, that encourage a really strong push for more employers to get more dispersed. And sure, there will be some outliers. There will be some Elon Musks that say, hey, I, I just believe we ought to do it this way. And, uh, and, and that'll happen. Mm -hmm. um, but I think market pressures will compel more organizations for competitive reasons to be more open to being more distributed. Yeah, well, I think just the talent pool factor alone. Uh, I've got clients in some parts of the country where there is no local talent pool. And yeah, some of that stuff has to be done on site, but it is tough for them. So I guess the people that feel the stress more than anyone are the HR professionals. And you'd mentioned a little bit ago about the blogs that you write, and you've got one that is entitled Put On Your Own Oxygen Mask, which sounds a little bit like the uh, same thing I ripped off the title of you know, HR Oxygen. It's from the flight attendant, which, you know, being on planes as often as I do, I've got the speech memorized. But that was the topic that you wrote about. So what were the key concepts about that? 
Yeah, yeah, it it is a a really nice uh, combination there of uh, you know where where your podcast is aimed and and that blog post is a couple of years old now. I, it was actually on the front end of COVID um, as the first round of layoffs were happening and uh, massive unknowns in the workplace and in the world. Um, how, how do we handle the changing uh, legislative compliance and health uh, requirements? How, how do we get work done um, in, a, in a different way than we're used to doing? Um, and HR professionals were at the center of this perfect storm of unknowns that um, we, were we were expected to figure out. We were expected to have the answers. And that created just this um, intensely uh, uh, pressure cooker type environment uh, for HR pros. And, and so my, my post that's a couple years old, but boy, it still resonates. Um, I, I still hear comments about it regularly is you, you gotta, you, you have to take care of yourself as a human um, and, and as a, uh, as, as an individual to be able to best take care of your organization and the people that depend on you. And so that, that extends to, you know, physically, emotionally, financially, um, you'll put on your own oxygen mask so that you can help your organization and the people that depend on it um, to do their best. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's still true today. No, I agree. You know, it's funny that the old seat at the table, you know, before COVID, that was everybody's thing. And, you know, that you'd see it on every HR conference uh, list of topics, how to get a seat at the table. It almost seemed like when COVID came, then it was like, hey, we need them at the table. And then I was, you know, I heard that from friends, like everybody's like, well, what do we do? And I was thinking about that scene from Shawshank Redemption, when the warden comes into Andy Dufresne's empty cell and we bring Red, Morgan Freeman in there, and he looks at him and says, well, and Red's like, well, what? Like, I don't know what to do. I've been waiting this whole time to get the seat, but don't bring me in when none of us have, and nobody has a clue. I couldn't make it up in my sleep. So now I'm at the table, now I'm realizing, why did I want to be here in the first place? There's a lot of things you got to stress out over. So let's kind of reset that a little bit. What do managers really expect out of HR from your experience? Yeah, I, I might actually um, um, reframe that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what, what do managers expect from HR might be different than what they need from HR. You know, and, and compare that to a patient walking into a doctor's office saying, you know, get, get, give me some meds for this, for this pain in my, you know, rear end. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the doctor, their job isn't just to give the patient what they're asking for. The, the doctor's job is to, you know, figure out what's going on and help that, that patient be as healthy as possible, right? So maybe they run a couple of tests and they find out, oh my goodness, you actually have this you know, serious colon cancer. You don't need, you don't need pain meds. You need to be operated on mm -hmm. right now. So let's save your life. So what managers might want from HR might be, you know, give us more rules, give us more guidelines, give us more policies that tell us exactly how to handle these things these new things that we're that we're trying to struggle through you know give us give us the rules um 
that that help us navigate these complex situations. Um, keep us out of jail. Boy, I've had a, a couple of CEOs tell me that's what they wanted out of <laughs> out of HR. Just keep me out of jail. Yeah. Um, what do they need from us? Well, what do they need from us? I, I think are are more guidelines and guardrails than um, than policies. Like not everything needs to be handled by a policy. And 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 by guidelines and guardrails, I mean managing and supervising and leading people is a is a complex job and it, it's it's not like typing in a, a set of instructions to a robot or you know, computer programming where you can handle every single permutation of things that might happen and so i i think what what managers really need from hr is you know a, a frame of reference to act in so you know, HR can help an organization articulate its position on how to, you know, what, what, what it's like to work there, mm-hmm. ways of working. How are we going to operate as an org? How much discretion do managers get? Uh, what is a policy and what is, um, what is a decision that you and your, your team get to make themselves? And so I, I, I think it's a, it's a, you know, trying to bring this wide world of, oh my goodness, everything is changing, what do we do now? And give people some direction and, and still give them discretion. So balancing direction with discretion, um, CEOs and COOs and you know, your, your C-suite and department heads are busy trying to raise money right now, or busy trying to uh, help their organization survive. And what HR can do maybe its highest and best use right now is to help the internal workings of the organization, help communicate to the team what's most important right now, um, what are our priorities, what are our goals, how will we win together. Um, that's, that's the playing field, defining the playing field for the, uh, for the workforce. And I, and I hope that's concrete enough. I hope that's practical, tactical enough. Happy to you know, dive a little further into that that concept, if useful, Matt. I think that's a perfect descriptor. And certainly, that's who you'd want at your table. Why do a lot of HR professionals never seem to make it to the table, though? Well, um, by the hierarchy or reporting structure, a lot of HR people are sitting at the table. You know, they're reporting to the CEO, CFO, COO, whatever, might have a big title, might have a really nice paycheck. Um, and, and so maybe they are sitting in on the executive team meetings, um, but a lot of HR people get overly focused on HR stuff, hmm. uh, you know, keeping the company out of jail or running the engagement survey, or let, let's do a performance management review process. Why? Because every, everybody does a mm-hmm. performance review process. And, and I think a lot of HR folks fall victim or they make victims out of themselves. Uh, by not picking their heads up and looking around and, and aligning their work to the most important goals and priorities of the company. We establish our own little HR island and do HR things too often when we should be thinking about, okay, what's the company trying to do right now? Is it trying to reduce you know, cost of customer acquisition? All right, what, what can we do about that to increase sales force effectiveness um, or beef up the marketing team? 
are we trying to reduce cost um you know our our revenue per employee um okay well what can we do around workforce planning uh and budgeting you know so um more hr professionals don't have a true seat at the table um because we get too focused on our own function and we don't spend enough time thinking about what's the right thing for the organization as a whole it's almost like we're not being strategic but we're still busy doing things that we think are important is that about right bingo okay exactly what causes that though i mean it seems like you're doing what you're trained to do you're doing what in your mind keeps us out of jail or out of court um but what are some other things we could do to be more strategic yeah, I'd say um, you can be more strategic by having a broader awareness of who are your stakeholders and what do they care about. Hmm. Um, you know, we, we as HR pros, you know, th this in a lot of ways is a service profession or a helping profession, and we we often or you know decisions could be taken out of our hands, and so we can be more strategic by having a more fulsome view of who are our stakeholders and what do they care about. Um, and, and not enough HR people are really truly business people. Um, you know, so a lot, a lot of my work helps HR uh, leaders understand uh, what, what the CEO cares about. And uh, you know, if, you, if you ask them what you should be working on, um, you know, if you're an HR leader and you ask the CEO what you should be working on, you'll, you'll probably get a pretty operational, pretty tactical thing. Like, hey, keep me out, keep me out of jail, because they don't know what you can do. Uh, they don't know what they don't know. Um, and so our, our opportunity is to better understand the needs and then link our activities back to those needs. Now that makes sense. I, I've got a couple of colleagues, one in particular, that said the, the first thing she did, she actually teaches a course on business skills for HR professionals, is she did ride-alongs with the sales team. Yeah. Because she figures, you know, she's got to see what their pain points are firsthand so that she could then adopt her policies accordingly. So I think that is the smart tactic. But again, I, I don't think if that's even something that's ever really taught in HR programs now. I mean, I don't know what goes on in the college curriculums, but uh, it seems like every HR person I know that is super successful has taken the time to learn the business. And some of the companies I work with, I'm amazed sometimes at the HR professionals can tell me, walking through the plant, exactly what happens here. And that is a lot to remember on top of all your compliance stuff, but they're the ones that really can demonstrate the value. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and how you show up as strategic will, will vary depending on your environment. Are you in a you know, very small shop where you're, you're the same person that's running payroll as is doing benefits enrollment, as is doing employee relations and you you know sit as part of the executive team helping to define the strategy and priorities for the organization like that that um, team of one uh, behavior of how to be strategic might be different than if you lead a team of you know 50 plus uh, functional mm -hmm. pros um, but the same concepts still play like what what are you spending your time on what are you working on um, there's some things that you need to do or your function needs to do to keep the business running that you probably don't need to you know, talk about all the time. Like it just, 
should happen in the background one way or another. Run payroll, make sure benefits get done. Um, you know, ad mm -hmm. address uh, address flare-ups um, in, in terms of you know relationships and interactions in, in the office. But your big rocks should be: what's the company trying to accomplish? Where do I spend my time? Um, how can I contribute to whatever it is that the company's uh, trying to accomplish? And I don't think you need an MBA to do that. I don't think you need you know, X number of years working at McKinsey or BCG um, to do that. But boy, um, more and more I'm seeing, you know, top HR pros coming from outside HR because we're not uh, proactively orienting ourselves to the things that our senior leaders, you know, really need from us, even if they're not asking for it. A lot of our senior leaders don't know enough about what HR can do to ask for exactly what they need. Well, you had mentioned earlier that you have your People Leader Accelerator. And so as we wind down our time, Andrew, you, you've presented the ideal playing field and the ideal techniques for people to do to be successful. Uh, I suspect people are still going to need some help. And so you've got some resources. I'm interested in your book, Scaling for Success, but also how do we reach out to you about possibly working with you to help us out? Yeah, well, th thanks a lot. Mac. Uh, yeah, there are a couple of different ways. Um, you know, number one, best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. Uh, Andrew Bartlow. Uh, I'm all over LinkedIn. Uh, number two, People Leader Accelerator. Um, we have designed it, myself and three other core faculty members have designed this to be the best, most rigorous, most intensive um, HR leader development program in the world period, um, f for a very niche audience of, you know, high growth, smaller organizations. Um, it's, it's like an executive MBA over, over 16 weeks. So it, it has its own website called People Leader Accelerator. And we have a couple other supporting tools that are available out there. Um, you know, really detailed guides, which are implementation workbooks for HR pros that, you know, are trying to, um, build up their strategic muscles, you know, strategic people planning. You know, I, I personally created a 60 page guide uh, and, and you can download a big slice of that for free uh, out on the internet. Actually, I'll, I'll share with your listeners if you're willing to do this in the show notes. Um, sure. Use the, use the code podcast and you can get one of those guides for free. Uh, we normally charge 500 bucks uh, online for the, for the full thing, but you know, for your for your listeners, go ahead and get a free copy, and, and that'll get a sense. You know, very, very tactically. Again, what are the things that you can and should do? You know, to show up uh, as more of a strategic leader, regardless of whether your organization is large or small. Um, and then I also do, you know, one-on-one -on -one, uh, mentoring of HR leaders. I take on a, you know, small contingent one-on-one. -on -one, um, you know, no more than three or four people at a time. Uh, will I have weekly meetings with? Uh, I'm executive coaching certified, but I don't call it coaching. I call it more mentoring mm -hmm. because I bring my my you know 25 years of domain experience to the table. You know, helping those developing HR leaders to figure out um, how how they can navigate their internal situations. So those are a couple different ways: LinkedIn, People Leader Accelerator check out the guides and uh, hey, if you're interested, we'd love to talk to you about uh, some one-on-one -on -one support. Perfect. 
Well, Andrew, thank you for taking up some time today to chat with me, share your perspectives and give us some insights on what's going on there in the Silicon Valley area that all of us hear about, but aren't really there to see. Uh, if you're listening to this today, I will put the resources, the links in the show descriptor. I hope you will take the time to reach out to Andrew. Andrew, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Thank you, Mac. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the HR Oxygen podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy making them. I've learned so much from the guests we've had on the show over the past few years, and I hope that you will continue to listen to us regularly. If you are a subscriber on any podcast app or channel, would you do us a favor and take a moment and leave us a review? We would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have the time, check out all the offerings we have on our website, which is thebossbuilders.com. We have every other month a Sherm Credit webinar that we present, as well as a ton of other events, not to mention our Art of the Great Boss and Art of Being a Great Teammate programs. More information on that site today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Oh, by the way, you may want to unbuckle that seatbelt. I think we just arrived at the gate. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well. <laughs>